You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Zach Meredith. I'm the group's director here. <clears throat> I'm excited to be with you this morning. I got the call last night that I'm preaching today because um, of Tom Brady's retirement. So Dean's morning. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. I'm going to get called to HR for that one tomorrow, but it was worth it. Um, but we are so glad that we are all here together uh, to glorify God and worship God in uh, many ways of fellowship, of being in scripture, of teaching, of music. Uh, uh, we got to see one of our students get baptized this morning, which was great. But today we're going to be finishing up the series, Your Best Life, where over the last four weeks we've been talking about how counter to what culture will call us to live as a believer, as a Christian, our best life is lived the first week, we talked about being countercultural. Second week, we talked about being committed. And last week, we talked generosity, being generous. And then tonight, or today, we're going to be talking about how our best life is a life that is missional. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together um, as we seek to worship and to glorify you. Pray that as we dive into your scripture, God, that you would open our ears and our uh, eyes and our hearts to your word, uh, that uh, your word would encourage us where we need encouragement, maybe convict us where we need conviction, God, and strengthen us where we, where we are weak. Uh, we seek to glorify you in the remainder of our time together. We love you and thank you. Your name I pray. Amen. There was a really famous missionary, you probably heard of him, he was around in the mid-1900s, around 1950, named Jim Elliott. He's a very famous missionary who was very, very passionate about proclaiming the name of Jesus and the gospel to unreached people groups who've never been reached with that before. And he kept an extensive journal, and there was one passage I wanted to read which really gives us a glimpse into his missional heart. And he writes in there, I only hope that he, God, I only hope that God will let me preach to those who have never heard the name Jesus. And he asked this question, what else is worthwhile in this life? I've heard of nothing better, so Lord, send me. I mean, what a missional mindset that is. That is something that we can look to and say, man, that guy gets it, right? If you ask Jim, hey, dude, is there any other thing in this life more worthwhile than sharing Jesus with people who don't know him? He would say, no, no, not at all. And he lived that out because part of his story, you may know, is he goes on with some other friends, some missionaries, and they go to an unreached tribe, and they actually die at the hands of the tribe that they are giving the gospel to. I mean, he literally gave everything for the sake of the gospel. And you say, why? Well, he knew it to be worth it. He knew it to be worth it. It was worthwhile. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a few texts that are going to help us uh, see how and then why, as Christians, we are to live missionally. And so we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 5, if you have your Bible. We're going to be 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. And we're going to see here in this passage that in Christ, God has reconciled us, so Christians, to himself first. And then he calls us as his people to reconcile, to bring others into reconciliation with him as well. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. The words will be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And everything is from God, 
who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Says it again, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, because that's true, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In verse 21, he made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think it's very important this morning that as Christians to fully understand our mission, both as a church, as city church, right, and then individually as citizens in Tallahassee and the surrounding areas, we must come to the full realization of why Jesus' work on the cross was necessary. I think that's a great starting point. So we look at verse 17, the phrase, the old has passed away. That stood out to me. What does that mean? What was the old? Well, as a Christian, our old life is a life in sin outside of the saving work of Jesus, outside of the lordship of Jesus. It is a unforgiven life. It is a life of guilt and shame. It is a life of total separation from a holy God. And we know everyone on this earth, every human has this sickness of sin that leads to death. Or as verse 19 calls it, trespasses is sin, right? And this sickness is this, this sin is an active, consistent, rebellious state against God that everyone pursues. So if we look at verse 19, we see Paul point out this reality when he refers to God reconciling the world to himself. And that's interesting because the word reconciliation, it implies, it tells us that there was a prior relationship with God or else there would be no need for reconciliation. That there was a healthy connection with him that was broken. Well, how is this relationship broken? Much like really everything in life as a Christian, we can go to the scriptures for, to, to answer that. How is this relationship broken? Why was it broken? Why does it need reconciliation? Well, we can go to Genesis, right? The first few chapters in the book of Genesis, we see the beginning of creation, that God spoke it into existence, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth and of the earth, and he said it was good. We'll read it in a second, but chapter 3, verse 8, uh, references God taking evening walks in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? There's this uh, intimacy with God and his creation. God delighted and interacted with his creation without the stain of sin. But then, uh, as many of us know, the, the um, first sin the temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve, we see uh, sin enter the world in Genesis 3. And we see its immediate effects on creation and the separation it causes and the shame it brings in the presence of a holy God, right? Adam and Eve sinned and then they went and they ran and hid. Genesis 3.8 says, then the man and his wife, this is right after they took a bite of the forbidden fruit, totally, totally uh, rebelling against God's commands. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. That, this is like a, a repetitive thing, a daily thing. And what did they do? They hid from Lord God among the trees of the garden. This weight of sin was felt for the very first time in human history right here. 
And what does it cause Adam and Eve to do? It caused them to feel shame and to run and hide. And we see this kind of a repetitive thing throughout the Bible of the sin causes people to run from God. So how was this relationship broken? Well, by sin. And who caused it? We did, right, as humans. We broke the relationship with our God through sin, right? And we do this continually every day, right? We put other things before God in our lives. Maybe we, we choose sin instead of righteousness. We take pride in our own wisdom instead of the, the wisdom of Scripture, of God's Word to us. We as this human race fell into sin, and that is a massive issue. It's a huge issue because we know through the trustworthiness and promises of Scripture where sin leads us. Where unforgiven sin leads us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The price of sin, of rebellion against God, is death. Death for all who have sinned. And God, I mean, he's holy and he's just and he's right in punishing sin. I mean, he's not mean or unfair or unloving. He's correct in punishing this rebellion against him. And I truly believe that when we fail to realize the seriousness of our sin, we fail to see the goodness of the gospel, right, and what it saves us from, that we are all sick with sin on the road to eternity apart from God, but the second half of that verse, right, but God being rich in mercy gives us the only cure for that sin. Let's look at the second half of Romans 6.23. The first half read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift that God, but the gift of God, the gift that God gives his people is eternal life. How? How is that possible? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we look back to Genesis 3.15, where we just were a second ago, right after sin enters the world, uh, God finds Adam and Eve, because he's God, and they're just, they're hiding in a bush, and he responds to sin in two ways, right then and there. The first thing he says is, hey, there are real consequences for sin. Like, I'm not brushing this under the rug. There are real consequences for sin. And number two, I am sending a future king that will establish my kingdom forever and defeat sin and Satan. And so while speaking directly to Satan, after the temptation, God says in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This person that's promised Jesus is promised from the very beginning of time, from the first sin is the one who is going to come and crush sin and reconcile our relationship with God. I find it comforting that our sin and Adam and Eve's sin did not surprise God. It didn't surprise God. It didn't throw a wrench in his plan A and then he had to go to plan B. No, right? He was ready with the only possible solution. Oh, there's a ladybug again. It happened last week. It's buzzing me. Oh, man. I preached in front of middle schoolers for four years, so that's nothing. Uh, But he was ready with the only possible solution for our sin problem, right? And that's the gospel, right? That God sends Jesus down to earth. He lives a perfect life free from sin, but he is still sacrificed on the cross because of our sin, because of God's people's sin, and he sacrificed in our place, meaning that God's wrath against unpunished sin is taken out on Jesus on our behalf. The death satisfied God's wrath. 
But then we know, because we celebrated at Easter, we know this to be true. That Jesus is completely victorious over sin and death through his resurrection. And we, as sinful humans, are called to respond to the lordship and submission of Jesus because of that. To repent of our sins and to follow. And we find that truth, the gospel, for what Jesus did for us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's the last verse we read. I'll read it again because it's so powerful. He made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We may be in right standing before God. So Jesus died so that we could live. But it doesn't stop there, right? We become his righteousness. We continue to grow like him, shaped by him. And this new life in verse 17 is that in and of itself, right? As Christians, our old life apart from Christ is gone. Our dead, deadness and sin, it's gone. And behold, a new life that is in Christ has come. A life that's in union with him, transformed by the Holy Spirit, given the gift of salvation for the believers. So if we look back at verses 18 through 20, we see the call to missions, to live missionally because of what Christ did for us first. I'll read it again, starting in 18. It says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. How? Well, through Christ. It has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Repeats it. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, because that is true of our lives, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf of, to those who don't know Jesus, be reconciled to God. We are given the ministry and the mission of reconciliation because God reconciled us through Christ first. So it's very clear. It's very clear our mission as Christians from this text. God reconciled us through Jesus first, and now we are called to love and to speak this same message of salvation so that others may taste the goodness of the gospel for themselves. This message, the gospel, this, this message of reconciliation, it's only made known to others when ambassadors for Christ or Christians spread it, right? The Great Commission, which we're going to look at in a second, is the responsibility of the reconciled. I've always found it very interesting that in our society, we place very large, a very large emphasis on first words as a human and then last words as a human, right? So like as a baby, you're trying to like direct the baby's like mama, dada, repeat it, bye, hi, and you're going to record it, right? And send it to everyone. You're going to cherish it for a long time. It's very important to baby's first words in our society. On the flip side, right, what about the last words? It's very important in our society as well, right? Maybe words to uh, like a final statement or words to remember me by. If you like Google any famous person, or even semi-famous person, if you Google their name and last words, there's a good chance that we have a recorded because we place a heavy emphasis on that. And what's really, really cool is that in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel, we see that the very first and the very last recorded words of Jesus 
directly to his disciples are about missional living. They're about living on mission. In Matthew 4, 19, we see Jesus just come from uh, being tempted by Satan and he's starting his ministry on earth and he goes to the first two disciples that he calls, which are Peter and Andrew. They're fishermen. They're sitting there cleaning their nets. And he yells out to them, chapter 4, verse 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Or other translations, I will make you fishers of men. What a weird statement to give to lifelong fishermen. Like that's their livelihood. He's basically saying, guys, come with me follow me, not just accompany me from behind, but follow my example, follow my character, follow my teaching, and I will make you see that the mission, the ultimate mission is to reach people. That is our mission. We continue to read through the book of Matthew. If you haven't read through it, I'd encourage you to read through it. It's a great book. We see Jesus' ministry on earth unfold. We see his teachings. We see his miracles. We see his death and resurrection his appearance after his resurrection to his disciples. And before he ascends, right, with the promise of his glorious return, his last words recorded in the book of Matthew are a charge to his disciples. It's called the Great Commission. Many of us probably have have read this before. The Great Commission starts in Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want to pause there because that's so important, that God has given Jesus authority over everything, right? Therefore, the weight of the words that we're about to read, they mean a lot because of who they're coming from, from a place of authority. So he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, go. So first words, go. There's an action there. Don't stay and just talk about it, but go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want to pause again. I want to define what a disciple is. Craig Stewart, who was a a discipleship pastor here years ago, who's now a full-time missionary, he had a great definition of what a disciple is. He said a disciple is someone who has been saved by Jesus, who is growing more to be more like Jesus, and is making other disciples of Jesus. So that's a disciple, somebody who's been saved somebody who is pursuing a relationship with Jesus, and then somebody who is making disciples. So make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, right? Never straying from Scripture, never teaching anything else outside of Jesus' teaching. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This just, it, it, it's an encouragement at the end. It's this promise saying, hey, whether... I come back before you die or you die and are in heaven with me before I come back, I'm never going to leave you, right? In fact, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in in your life that is going to shape you, that's going to push you in this great commission. I have a feeling Jesus, I mean, Jesus knew that this was going to be a a hard commission, a, a hard thing to follow through. Sometimes it's uncomfortable And he gives that promise at the end. Guys, I know this could be tricky sometimes, but I'm with you. So here in Matthew 4, at the very beginning, in Matthew 28, at the very end, we see Jesus command and give the responsibility to his disciples, to us as Christians. Maybe city church, the the big church, to live missionally 
and to proclaim the good news of the gospel to others. And I love what R.C. Sproul, who's a famous uh, pastor and author, said in his book, Chosen by God, on the very topic of evangelism, it'll be on the screen, he said, evangelism is our duty, right? God commanded it. We just saw that command, right? We just read about it. God commands it. And that should be enough to end the matter. But he says there's more. Evangelism is not only our duty. Telling people about the gospel is not only our duty, but it's also a great privilege that God allows us to participate in the greatest work in human history, the work of redemption, right? The work of people dead in their sins, tasting the goodness of the gospel and receiving salvation being brought into the family of God. It's a great privilege, as Sproul says here, to be used by God in his plan for redeeming people. I don't think, and I preach this to myself, I have to, to never underestimate the role of evangelism, right, of telling people about God, while also knowing that God only, that only God has the power to save. And this sometimes may seem discouraging, but if we believe in the sovereignty of God, right, that his will is perfect, that his plan is perfect, we should feel comforted in that, right, that we are diligent in doing our job of professing the name of Jesus, and we're going to trust that God's perfect will is being played out. My wife and I are excited. We're expecting our first child in April. We're very excited about that. And it continues to dawn on us, like with everything that we do, that life is going to look a lot different in two months. Um, and it's just funny, as we live a, a daily life, we'll kind of look at each other and be like, wow, this is going to look, look a lot different in a couple months, right? And some examples that popped up, like sleeping on a Saturday, right? It's going to look a lot different. Everyone's like, enjoy your sleep now. So, I know, I am, I am cooking dinner, like planning out dinners for the week, maybe traveling, going to the beach, peacefully watching sports. Like it's all going to look a lot, a lot, I know that's a big one for me, a lot different or not yelling at the TV. That's going to be a big one for me. It's going to look a lot different in a really, really good way, right? We're very excited about it. It's going to completely change our daily rhythms, change the way we think about things, the way we live. And every week in the series, Dean throughout the weeks has said, living our best life in this way, right, counterculturally, committed, generous, and missionally, it's going to change our daily rhythms, right? Just, you know, how we know that baby, the name is Miles, how Miles is going to change our lives for the better. Living a missional life calls us to not live for this life alone, but also for the life to come because eternity, people's eternities are at stake, and that oftentimes changes our daily rhythms in a really good way. It should. Because living missionally calls us to action, right? Living missionally calls us to action, to go into your workplace, into your classroom, into your school, into your neighborhood, and in, I mean, even into Dope Campbell Stadium, right? And be a Christian. And just be a Christian because when we do that, when we're living a Christian life following Jesus, we will be missional. It also looks like living a bold life. Living missionally calls us to boldness, right? That we believe wholeheartedly this scripture, right? That we believe wholeheartedly in the message of the gospel. We're not ashamed of it, right? We're not jerks, right? but we're not ashamed of it, that we fully believe it and everything that is in here. Living missionally calls us to live with conviction, 
right, that we actually understand the weight of sin and the eternal status of those who don't know the Lord as their Savior, and that drives us to boldness. That drives us to go. And then finally, living missionally calls us sometimes the selflessness. I think this is a very practical one, right? Sometimes living missionally requires us maybe to put our own needs on the back burner, to serve others above ourselves for the sake of the gospel. I'm a very practical guy, so I try to think like, okay, how do I do this practically? How do we do this practically here as an individual and as City Church as a whole? How do we live this out? How are we missional on a daily basis? I think one is being in the lifeblood of Tallahassee, right? Being a part of our community, whether that's in like neighborhood stuff or stuff downtown or, you know, college, sporting events, whatever that may look like for you to being in Tallahassee, not of Tallahassee with certain things, that looks a lot different, but being in Tallahassee, in the lifeblood. The second thing is not only in Tallahassee, but being a part of City Church. It's going to sound like a shameless plug. I guess it is. Um, but being in a city group, um, we, be- like, we strive that everyone who attends City Church to be in a city group, a place of community where we can build each other up. We think that's very important for our spiritual health. And then as we're in a city group and we're welcoming more people and it grows and grows and grows, well, then as a city group, how do we live missionally? Well, we multiply, right? That's the greatest thing a city group can do to live out the Great Commission is to multiply and create new spots for community. I thought about it like this where, you know, a couple years ago when we just had this parking lot, it would get close to, you know, the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock, and all the spots would be full. People would be driving around looking for a space to come in. We didn't have any. So what did we do? We built a new parking lot for people to come and to have space to come in here and learn about the gospel and be introduced to Jesus' love. And I think, you know, as city groups, sometimes we, we get so attached to our group that we don't have space for that. So we multiply to create spaces. It's a great way, a great practical way as a city group we can live missionally. I think we do this very well. Um, I'm very proud of, of our church, of our, uh, of our leadership and the emphasis they place on missions. But we can support and continue to pray for our sent missionaries at a city church. That's huge and I think we do that great. We continue to do that. And then finally, a great practical way is to pray intentionally for lost friends and lost family by name and use our conversations and relationships to point to Jesus. I, was, I, I got this text or this uh, tweet sent to me the other day, and it said, when we, and it's so true, when we intentionally pray for a person, our interactions with them change. So prayer is essential for evangelism because we realize that eternity's at stake. So as Christians, I mean, we are in the business of making disciples. Like, that is what we do. That is what we're commanded to do. That's why we have church on Sunday. Right? And I just want to give, you know, a quick uh, a word. If, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and, and you are living in this in sin, in this shame, and this guilt, we would love for you to go talk to somebody. In the care room after the service, we have people who are so eager to do that because we believe that that is the greatest decision that can be made on this earth is to follow Jesus, is to be brought into his family, to be showered with the forgiveness of your sin. And that's exactly what calls us to live missionally, is that reality. I remember growing up, there, there was this one song that really tuned my, my thinking 
towards living missionally, I was young. I was about nine or ten, and I grew up in a family that was very uh, Bible-oriented. Like, they, they uh, introduced me to Jesus. Uh, they, uh, my dad led a family that feared the Lord and involved in the local church. I remember listening to a song that really started, you know, turning the wheels of like, oh my gosh, what does it look like to actually live missionally? And if you uh, spend any time in a youth ministry between the years 1999 and 2007, you probably know what song I'm talking about, or you're going to know and sing along in your head. It's kind of cheesy, but it's an audio adrenaline song, an old Christian rock band um, called Hands and Feet. And like I said, that really got my mind turning on what it looks like to live missionally. I think there's so much truth in that as well. And the chorus goes, he says, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. So I want to I go missionally. I'll go where you send me. And here it is right here. And I'll try to touch the world like you've touched my life. Our best life as Christians is lived on mission because of that. Because we understand what Jesus did for us individually. And then we love those around us. And we want the saving work of Jesus to be true for them as well. That's why we're passionate about living missionally here at City Church. Because we know our culture may change. It looks different all the time. We know our conversations may differ a little bit. But we know that the glorious news of the gospel is the same. And it will be forever. And that's part of the DNA of of City Church from the very, very beginning. Is that we preach and we share this everlasting truth in an ever-changing culture. And we're called to live missionally because of what God has done for us through Jesus first. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Thank you for the goodness of the gospel in our lives as Christians. We pray that we never forget what you saved us from. Um, And please help that reality spur us on to missional living We pray for boldness and and conviction as we seek to spread your great name here in Tallahassee and to the ends of the world. So be with us this week, God. Help us glorify your name in all we do. We love you and praise you for who you are. It's in all these things that we pray. In your name, amen.